Would you stand in the reading in the presence of God's Word as we continue in the Gospel according to St. Luke this morning, the 15th chapter. Listen for the Word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one of them does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice for me for I have found the coin that I had lost just so I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents this is the word of the Lord. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Words from probably the most popular hymn, maybe of all time, but certainly in every North American hymn survey for the last several decades, most popular hymn. You probably have sung it many a time. You probably can call it by name. The hymn is Amazing Grace. It was written by John Newton. Newton was born in 1725 in England. His father was a sea captain and gone much of his early life. It is said that he was raised by his mother who was a godly woman and took him to church and taught him of things of God. But just before his seventh birthday, she died. He was put in a boarding home, an orphanage, if you will, lived there for a while until his father could get back, until he decided he was old enough to go with him to sea, to be on the ship. He was 11 years old when his father took him on the ship and raised him the rest of his life at sea. As you might imagine, not the most wholesome place to be raised. Newton became a surly character. I mean, it was a rough life. His father was a captain of a slave ship. Newton himself became a captain of a slave ship. He would go to West Africa, capture Africans put them in chains on the boat and bring them over across the ocean to the West Indies or to America and sell them. It was a vicious and brutal life that he lived. In 1748, at the age of 23, he was on his ship sailing back toward England when they encountered a particularly violent storm Newton began to think, this might be the end. This may be my last day or last days. I think the ship might break up. And in that experience of that violent storm, he pulled a volume that he had from his earlier days, a book called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. It is known as a Christian classic. 
somehow through the effect of the storm and the reading of the book, his mind began to turn back to his early religious training and his life began to change. He began to think that this was not the life he wanted. He began to think that this is not even the life God would want for him. And so he began to make some changes to improve the conditions on his ships. He began to treat his crew members differently. He even began to hold worship services on the ships during voyages. But by 1750, a couple of years after that experience, he decided he had to be done with that. He found a job on the docks at Liverpool and sold his ship and got out of the slave trade. But perhaps even more amazing than that, joined with others in England within the movement to abolish slavery from the planet. As he was doing that work, he began to feel a stirring inside that he finally discerned as a call to ministry in the church and began to pursue studies to that end and at the age of 39 was ordained by the Church of England as a priest in the church. He was given his first assignment, a small parish. Olney was the place. It was 1764. Turns out John Newton was a pretty good preacher. Lots of people liked what he had to say. More and more people began to come. He often told his own story of his early life and then what it was like at sea and then how God had turned him around and drawn him into the Christian life. He was influenced by the Wesley brothers and some others of the time, and he began to preach outside the walls of the church in the open air. Great crowds began to come. In those experiences, they began to sing what then would have been considered contemporary hymns, hymns that were just being written as part of the preaching services. Turns out Newton is not only a good preacher, but he could write a hymn or two. He began to write and wrote lots of hymns in 1779 at the age of of 54, he and a friend published a hymnal with 349 hymns included. Nearly 300 of them were written by Newton himself. One of them was called Amazing Grace, where he talked about his own life and said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Newton talked about that he had this stirring within him during those early years that there was a better life than what he was living, that, that there was something more. He knew it just wasn't right. The, the way he was living, the things he was doing just weren't adding up. He felt a, a tugging or a, a nagging, a sense of, of being drawn towards something more. And he said finally he realized it was God drawing him toward Jesus Christ. He had been lost, but then he felt found blind but then he could see and he writes all about that amazing grace of God's love pouring out seeking him and drawing him in it is an insight we all need to remember we are lost if we're not pursuing the things of God we are lost if we've not committed to following Jesus Christ we are lost that is where Jesus starts today. Oh, the Pharisees and the scribes, Luke tells us, are grumbling, but 
Jesus is welcoming the lost. He's welcoming these sinners, if you will, into the family of God. And he starts by telling those who are grumbling, it's going to be okay. I've come for this purpose. The sinners are lost, but I have come to reach them. Did you hear it? Look again, if you've got your Bible open in verse 4, he's telling them the parable about the shepherd. Then he says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost? Or later in verse 8, as he talks about the woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, whoever among you does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it, until she finds the one. Jesus says, I am here to seek and search for the lost one. Oh, yes, I'm welcoming sinners because that's why I've come. That's who I'm looking for. That's who I'm reaching out to. I'm here to seek and save the lost. Years ago when I was in seminary, I had several different jobs going through seminary. And finally my last year in seminary, I made myself available to be appointed as a pastor in a local church. I'd had different jobs, but I'd never been the pastor. I was a year away from graduation. I thought maybe I should try this for real before I get out there. So they sent me to three little churches up north of Kansas City in the north part of Missouri. The district superintendent told me, preach at every one every Sunday. Go to Mooresville at 8 o'clock, preach your sermon. Average attendance there, 6. Drive a few miles over to Grandview. Bigger crowd there, he said. Preach the same sermon, do the same service. There will be about 12 there. Then you drive into town to the big church, the Red Brick Church there in Breckenridge. Preach to them. That's the big congregation. Average attendance, 40. So I went to school all week, studied as hard as I could. Then on Saturday, opened my Bible, read the lection, hoped to God that I would think of something, that some inspiration would come because I had to preach in the morning. I would type up the bulletin on an old kind of typewriter, and then you remember those mimeograph machines where you put it on a barrel, then you that's what I did late into the night so we would have bulletins and then I would get up and go but you know what I was a terrible preacher those poor people it was painful many Sunday mornings what they had to sit through I should probably write them an apology even today but one particular Saturday Luke 15 that was the lectionary reading this gospel that we just read and God struck me with an insight with such force that it still feeds me today I was reading about this lost sheep and this woman looking for this lost coin and realized that Jesus was saying God is seeking us I realized God is searching for us God is seeking us you know, somehow, even though I'd been raised in the church, I sort of had this impression that God had created me and, and God loved me and that was all good, but God was kind of sitting there, sitting back, watching me, thinking, let's see what he'll do with what he's got. Not that God was disinterested or didn't care, but just simply that God wasn't that involved in things we were doing. And then I read this text and went, oh, no, 
God is not only interested, but God is seeking us. God is searching. God is coming after us. God wants us to know that we are loved. And God is active and alive in our lives, working in ways that we do not always understand. And certainly, God was working in my, way, in my life in ways that I did not perceive at that time. That same night, I read a commentary by the great biblical scholar William Barclay. He talked about the image that people would have had in their minds when Jesus was telling the story about a woman looking for this lost coin. He said houses in the first century were small and dark, especially at night. He said there was only one window, even in the day, no more than 18 inches across. But at night, really dark, if they were lucky, a family might have a single lamp or maybe a little candle or two to light the whole house. And so if a woman had lost a coin... It was going to be hard to find, usually dirt floors, maybe covered with straw or reeds and rushes. So he said the image would have been that this woman has lost the coin, but it's a dark house, and she's having to move all the straw or the reeds out of the way. She's sweeping, looking for the coin until she finds it. Until she finds it. She's looking. She's going to search until she finds the lost one. God is seeking us. When I was writing the sermon that night, I can still remember I'm writing it in longhand and in big letters. I was writing, God is seeking us, exclamation point. God is searching for us. It was good news. I was glad to hear it through this gospel. It's good news to hear today. But it gets even better than that, I think. Because Jesus answers another question in the parable. I don't know if you heard it, but the question is, how long will God seek us? How long will God search for us? How long do we have? Did you hear the answer? Jesus says the shepherd will search until he finds that lost sheep. Jesus says the woman's going to search until she finds that lost coin. There's no give up. In God's love for us, there's not a time limit. It's not, oh, they've tried so much, but time is up. No more love from God for you. That's not what Jesus says in this passage. He says the shepherd's going to search until, the woman's going to search until she finds the coin. That is the biblical tweet, if you will, that Jesus gives us today. Be a church that seeks and welcomes others because we know the love of a seeking God. Because you and I know the relentless love of a God who loves us so much that that God will pursue us until we're drawn in. Let's be that kind of church. All during this month of September, I'm going to be talking about this. Jesus is talking about it in these parables we're going to look at. So we're going to be talking about what he's taught those early disciples. And I think what he's saying to you and I is that if we know the love of God and we know this love is seeking us, that it's not only us, it's each and every child of God. That this love is for all of God's children. And once we've experienced it, Jesus is saying we're supposed to be sharing it with others. We're supposed to be carrying it out there to share with somebody else. So this month, we're going to be looking at ourselves and saying, am I that kind of person? 
Have I experienced this love of God that pursued me until I was brought home? And am I ready to share it with somebody else? Or do we go through the week meeting people, talking with people, passing people, and never mention it? And never say a word about the love of God that has brought us home? We're going to be thinking about that this week. I want us to really contemplate what this is all about. If we know this seeking love of God and if this love has reached us and brought us in, are we ready to share it with somebody else? Or are we the grumbling ones? We might be the grumblers. It's the Pharisees and scribes. It's the good religious folk of the day that are grumbling because, you know, they're all settled and Jesus is welcoming all these other people in what's he thinking we're already here isn't this enough I'm pretty comfortable why somebody I don't know well Jesus says it's because God is like a shepherd who's gonna go find that one or like a woman who's gonna go look for that one coin that is lost there's a story I read years ago about Abraham Lincoln was Toward the end of the war, the Civil War, it had finally become clear that the North was going to prevail, the Union was going to be preserved, there were going to be the United States of America, and an associate of his asked him, how are you going to treat those rebellious Southerners when we finally defeat them? And there was some contempt in his voice apparently maybe even some viciousness maybe even some vengeance in the question and the story said that Lincoln thought about it for a moment and then said evenly I'm going to treat them as if they had never left I'm going to treat them as if they'd never left that's Jesus' response when he tells this parable today. How are you going to treat the ones who are not here yet as if they have never left? How are you going to treat the lost ones, the ones that have gone astray, the ones that are not here? I'm going to treat them like they never left. In fact, he, he not only says that, that he's going to be seeking them, and that's why he came, but that any time one of them is found, it's time for a celebration. We're going to have a party, he says. There's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over that one than 99 of us who are already here. Can you believe that? I thought God was excited. A bunch of us came this morning. And he probably was. But Jesus says, more importantly, if there's one new one that comes, there's a time for a party. Let's have a rejoicing. Let's have a celebration. And then it's interesting. This whole idea of a seeking love, seeking until, until, continuing to seek. It reminded me of the story. The man said to a, a new parent, how long will you give your baby to learn to walk? Is there a time limit? Or do we give them until they learn to walk? I mean, we encourage them, right? We cheer them on. My great-nephew was over at our house. He's about 18 months old. Earlier this week, he's a toddler now. You know, sometimes he does really well, but the other times he's kind of, you know, staggering, kind of trying to hold on before he goes down. 
But you know what we did? We cheered him on, right? I mean, it reminded me of my own daughters 20-some years ago. We want them to walk so badly. You know, we're on the floor giggling and cooing, making all kinds of silly faces, begging them just to take a step. And then when they finally make that journey of two or three or four steps and they're still standing, we screamed. I bet you've seen it in someone's house when a little one makes that first journey and everyone screeches. A bunch of adults are going, Whoa, I'm three steps. Yeah! It's a time for rejoicing. And then mom or dad or grandma or grandpa scoops that little one up and hugs them and praises them because we give them until they're able to make it. And Jesus said, God is just like that. Will give us until we have experienced that pursuing love of God and turn toward Him and come on in to the family of Christ. Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 good church folk who don't need it. Anytime someone comes down this aisle or that aisle, anyone's coming down the aisle, my heart skips a beat. I get excited. Here they come. They've experienced God working in their life in some way. They've experienced a, something of a spiritual life or a spiritual home right here, and they're coming to be a part of that. They want to be a part of that. They've experienced it, and now they're ready.